This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. This is A Word, a podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. As the country emerges from more than a year of pandemic isolation and loss, it's left many in the African-American community with a new appreciation for our elders and the urgency of preserving their stories. We're interested in the person, but we're really interested in the stories that reside inside of them. Juliana Richardson has made it her mission to preserve African-American history, one story at a time. More on her work and her organization, The History Makers, Coming up on A Word with me, Jason Johnson. Stay with us. Welcome to A Word, a podcast about race and politics and everything else. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. Many of us are planning a post-pandemic summer full of fun, travel, and catching up with our families. Particularly for African Americans, the catastrophic losses of COVID-19 brought us a greater appreciation of how important it is to talk with elders to get a better understanding of our country, our families, and ourselves. But that wasn't news to Juliana Richardson. She's the founder and president of The History Makers, a project devoted to creating a video archive of notable African Americans. With thousands of interviews already, Richardson has spoken to everyone from musical legend Quincy Jones to late congressman and civil rights hero John Lewis. But the early people uh, was committed to, to nonviolence. It was the right way if you wanted to redeem the soul of America and the soul of the South, and then it was a practical thing to do. Well, if we had tried to engage in violence, we, we would have been slaughtered. Recently, I spoke with Richardson about the History Makers Project and whether the pandemic has given her a greater sense of urgency about her work. It definitely has. But I would also say that before COVID hit, I was increasingly concerned um, because I did not realize how significant the fact that we don't have a lot of documentation of the 20th century. And I don't think I knew that when I started the project. I wanted to document in a massive way our experience across a variety of disciplines, but I didn't know that there was so little there. And so my concern was, can we now do things over Zoom, but have a live videographer on the other end? So, yes, we're, we're very concerned about that. And also, we've had a significant number of people dying. What are the kinds of things that Black America doesn't tend to have archived compared to, say, the white majority? Well, um, that, I mean, wholesale, the Black community is not archiving hardly anything, I mean, or saving. And 
And I say that, I mean, you know, we all know the scrapbooks and uh, that people have, and, you know, we're in a time of social media, so people have Facebook, but that cannot, you know, social media cannot be confused with archives. And I just, you know, I need to say that. But let me tell you, I would call it a crisis. And I'll just take our uh, body of interviews, which I would consider, you know, a pretty significant representative sample. And I knew that less than a fraction of 1% um, had any of what we call, you know, plans for their papers. And when I mention papers, I'm talking about letters, correspondences, you know, emails, AV material, recordings, photographs. Um, reports. And so I knew that that was the case because I started to ask people, you know, what they were planning to do. And I thought it curious. And I would say to people, oh, well, you know, why don't you check out this? You know, there's a Schomburg, it's Amistad, Howard Moreland, Spingarn, you know, you should put your things someplace. And so that I did. Then what happened is when we were starting to get our digital archive, which is a searchable database, into colleges and universities and libraries, and they were dismissive, of, of course, this is before George Floyd and, you know, COVID, so they're dismissive. And then to really try to engage in partnership, I started to ask them what they had about the Black experience, and they have anything. Mm. And... I, that's when I panicked because, you know, one and one you know, equals two, like we are not being documented. And the 20th century is a really significant century because we had already lost the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries for the most part. And sometimes I don't sleep well, you know, um, because, you know, we had always asked people to bring photos of themselves, but the contextualization is really needed. For us. When you've been talking to people, you have talked to, you know, through history makers, you've talked to Colin Powell, you've talked to Whoopi Goldberg, you've talked to Quincy Jones, but you talked to a lot of just regular folks. So give us sort of an idea, like, what kind of people do you talk to? How do you find the people that you want to talk to? Because I know some folks who can talk. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you necessarily want them for history makers. So how do you find those kinds of people? Well, I mean, we were really trying to build a record of our achievements and family histories and more information about our culture. That doesn't always come with the big names. I mean, we're talking about, you know, sort of memory. The other thing is that we were going across a variety of disciplines. So whether they were scientists, we were able to do Katherine Johnson way before our story was featured in Hidden Figures. And so we've been working now with the advisory committees that are helping to inform uh, better who we're doing, but that was important. And so I want to say leadership is critical, but what we're really, we're interested in the person, but we're really interested in the stories that reside inside of them. So it's interesting you say that because, yeah, you're, you're not always focusing on like, the big famous greatest hits. I want to play you. Here's a clip of your conversation with Maya Angelou. And she's talking about meeting modern dance legend, Alvin Ailey. We met the way dancers meet in dance halls or in dance studios. So we put together a, a duo and uh, we wore almost no clothes at all. I think I had a little, small little G-string and two tassels on my breast or something. And he wore a little G-string and made out of cloth like leopard print. 
and we both slathered our bodies down with Max Factor makeup. So we would <laughs> be greasy as lard. Wow. When you hear stuff like that, I assume, I mean, do you, do you go home? Do you write about it yourself? Does it just make you the most fascinating dinner party guest ever? Like, how do you feel <laughs> when you hear these these nuggets of history? Well, I mean, I think that I could make a fascinating dinner guest because we've learned so much. But I, I want to say that the thing that we do are really serious oral histories. Our interviews last three to five hours a night. You know, we go in with a, a researched outline. and. What is so, I think, wonderful about that clip, you know, is that we think of, you know, this is the time before she becomes the writer, you know, and uh, we've been having discussions with our artists. Artists can now merge between different, not even now, but always they can go between different categories, you know. And so here she was, this is early Maya Angelou when she is actually dancing, which that gets lost in the whole telling of her story. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, more on preserving Black oral history. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. If you're enjoying A Word, please subscribe, rate, and review. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about preserving black oral history with Juliana Richardson. How did you get the inspiration to do this? I, I hear that it was a project that happened in grade school. Like, what got you into archiving? Well, I mean, I say the inspiration came because I grew up in a small town in Ohio called Newark, Ohio, just south of Columbus. And, you know, we had a thousand blacks out of 50,000 whites. But I didn't know anything about black people. And so the teacher, you know, the only thing we studied were about uh, slavery and George Washington Carver. And my nine-year-old brain could not compute how he could have done all those things with peanuts and why people were talking about it. (laughs) When all we had been were slaves, it just didn't compute. And so one day she asked us to talk about our family background and everybody's hand, I mean, they shot up like arrows and they were two furs and three furs. Like they were part German, part Italian, part. And I'm sitting there like horrified, like, what am I? And I said, I don't even know what I said. Negro? I don't, you know, our color. I'm not sure because it's not like it's before black is proud. And then I, you know, said I was Native American because everybody, you know, is black says that. And then I added in. <laughs> and then I added in French because I didn't want to be left out. And I felt she was looking at me like, you know, like, where did that come from? And I felt like a fraud. And that feeling stayed with me until my sophomore year at Brandeis University, where I was a theater arts American studies major doing research on the Harlem Renaissance in New York Schomburg's library. And I'm listening to a song 
uh, from the 1921 production of Shuffle Along on Broadway called I'm Just Wild About Harry, thinking that that song had to be written by a, a white songwriting team, but was written by a black songwriting team of Noble Sissel and U.B. Blake. And you talk about like bingo moment. Like I was like in my element and being helped by the famous librarian, uh, Jean Hudson, She'd give me a list of people. I went and interviewed Butterfly McQueen and Lee Whipper, who was the oldest living Black actor, and Dick Campbell, who was like legendary in, in Black theater circles, and John Henry Clark, famous historian, tap dancer Honey Coles. I mean, I have found myself. That's what I want to say is I have found myself, and even at that point, I probably didn't know that that would be my life's passion. And so when you had, I mean, you, you were, you were also worked in television, you went to Harvard. Do you think all those things, did they give you the skill set to eventually make history makers? Or do you think that was part of your personal exploration? Very much so. So I, you know, my father often would say before he passed that, you know, I ended up doing exactly what what I wanted to do. So I'm storytelling. So the theater is storytelling and American studies is about the United States. All roads have led me to where I am now. And every single contact, everything I've put behind this initiative, they came to me really when I was without a job and, you know, sort of confused about where I wanted to go next, and those stories came back to me. And I was also, I would say I was in my mid-40s and not having had children. And you get to the point where you start thinking about what your legacy is going to be, what you leave behind is, and all those things led me to this. Speaking of Harvard, in 2001, about a year after you started the project, you interviewed this young lawyer in Chicago. Here's a Quick clip from that conversation. I'm going to get your thoughts on the other side. I think by the time I was an adolescent and had moved back from Indonesia and was struggling with these issues of uh, racial identity and a father not being in the house, and you know, I reacted by engaging in a lot of behavior that's not a, untypical of black males across the country. What made you want to interview this Barack Obama guy, I mean, he was just a state senator. And this is February 2001. What made you think, I need to talk to this guy? Barack was um, interviewed as part of a project um, of someone who actually was known here as his godfather. But at that point, that wasn't even on the horizon. It was early funding that we had gotten, and I wanted to trace the history of African Americans in the Illinois General Assembly. That turned out to be really a defining moment in many ways, um, besides us having had probably what is the earliest in-depth interview of him, but after he, you know, also had written his book. But, and, you know, and I would say, you know, I've listened to the interview and it's, it's remarkably consistent to the person we see today. You know, I find that, you know, intriguing. Have you ever had the desire after you interviewed someone, maybe in mid-career, maybe when they were younger, to go back to them and say, look, have your views changed? Have you become more radical? Have you become more conservative? Or do you like sort of just having where they were as that moment in Amber? No, no, no. We would like to do that. And that was always the plan. But it's just funding and time. And I think really, I would be interested in an older Barack. 
I would like to have uh, someone who's at the point of real reflection, life reflection. That would be of great interest to me. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, more on preserving Black oral history with Juliana Richardson. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about preserving Black oral history with Juliana Richardson. All of these interviews aren't just public figures, right? Sometimes it's personal. You interviewed Julius Richardson, your late father, back in 2001. I want to hear your thoughts about this clip. When I was in the service, I had gotten a girl pregnant. And during that particular period, I wasn't even aware that she was pregnant. So finally, my mother wrote and told me that. And my mother also said, it's your child. I've seen the child look like you, so you going to marry her, in which I, I did. Now I gotta, I gotta say this, Juliana. On the scale of things, I don't talk to my parents about. <laughs> I don't, I don't have discussions about old recipes. I, I'm, I'm a grown up now. I don't debate them about how they raised me, and I definitely never want to talk to my parents about their sex life. So what, what was it like? to have this kind of conversation with your father. Because for a lot of people, especially black folk, there's just some things you don't talk about with your parents. Was this was it therapy for you? Was it just like, hey, I'm going to treat him like any other subject? What was that like? It was um, the latter, that I was going to treat him like any other subject. And I want to say, you know, when you're dealing um, with your, you know, with loved ones, and I tell people, um, all the time that if you can get out the tape recorder and start recording, um, that that's important. But in in the case of my father, I and that day, because um, I'm named after my father, he's Julius Laconia Richardson. I'm Juliana Lynn Richardson. I'm a daddy's girl. But that day, I heard stories uh, that I had not really heard before. In terms of sen sensitive subjects, I don't think you do an interview well if you don't try to go beyond the veil. 
for people who are sitting here thinking today, I want to start putting together an oral history. I want to start getting what grandma and aunts and uncles, hell, let me get what this, what my 17 year old daughter thinks, right? Who knows? You know, that may be something of value years later. How do you start the process? How do you start building an oral history within your own family so that you'll have this information and maybe share it with you one day? We have a lot of tools now at our disposal. Um, you literally can take your iPhone, either just from recording or video recording. I'm a big believer in video because you don't have to guess at someone's countenance and, you know, and how they sound or speak, but either one will work. And you start asking questions. You want to be able to just have them recount memories with you. So there has to be somewhat of a discipline. You need a quiet space. You need to ask questions. And maybe you have a series with, you know, your family where you can record things and have a series of recording and go back and listen and then ask more questions. Spelling of names, sometimes important. um, So you can, you know, end up looking things up. Trying to get beyond the veil of the common things and sort of if you could do some research to supplement because even their memory may need jogging. Photographs, absolutely critical. Photographs, very, very, very important because you can't tell stories without the photographs. And that's, you know, part of our material culture. We have um, a list of questions that, you know, can be asked and some guidelines. People can take that for what they will and adjust it. You may want to do something about a particular subject or about the family itself. You know, there are these progressions uh, through communities, through families, through society, and that if we as a people could embrace that and understand more about that, then one, our um, significance in society will shoot up because it's based on actual accounts, not fictionalized and stereotypical views of us as Black people. And um, and I say that at a time that the largest group studying Black people are young white females. I have a plea to our community that we, you know, that hopefully they will gather around us and surround us so we can hold up our whole community in a major way because archives preserve the history that museums showcase. And so it sounds old and dusty. We envision something that would be state-of-the-art and usable. And I can tell you as I speak that people are coming to our archives from all parts of the world. And it's important that we get it right. Juliana Richardson is the president and founder of The History Makers, a video archive of interviews with notable Black Americans. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And that's a word for this week. If you're enjoying a word, please subscribe, rate, and review. Did you know you could be listening to this show ad-free? All it takes is a Slate Plus membership. It's just $1 for the first month, and it also helps us keep making our podcast. Sign up now at slate.com slash a word plus. The show's email is a word at slate.com. This episode was produced by Ayana Angel and Jasmine Ellis. 
Asha Saluja is the managing producer of Podcasts at Slate. Gabriel Roth is Slate's editorial director for audio. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer of Podcasts at Slate. June Thomas is senior managing producer of the Slate Podcast Network. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson. Tune in next week for a word. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.